Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for all of the audio and sermons from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet every week at 10 a.m. at the Sundial AMC Movie Theater, 151 2nd Avenue North in beautiful downtown St. Petersburg, Florida. Years ago, there was a bootleg copy of a movie. Um, in fact, it was a bootleg copy of Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. And so this bootleg copy, when the movie was still in movie theaters, found its way to China. And somebody took the time with this bootleg copy of Star Wars to dub the movie into Mandarin. And so you had a a very shaky hand camera recording of a movie screen in America, and then people uh, dubbing the dialogue in Mandarin over top of it. Well, then somebody decided that they wanted to sell it, but all of the American tourists wanted to buy something they could understand. So an entrepreneurial soul decided that they would take this Mandarin copy, bootlegged of this movie, and they would put English subtitles. Except instead of using the original movie's dialogue, they used the Mandarin dialogue from the movie and translated that Mandarin dialogue back into English. It did not go well. In fact, uh, Star Wars Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith, uh, became known in this DVD copy as Star Wars Episode 3, Backstroke of the West. And there's one part of it that is absolutely, to me, wonderful and fantastic and hilarious, which is when they translated the movie into Mandarin and then from Mandarin back into English, they had no concept of what to call the Jedi Council, what to call the group of people that ran all the Jedi. And so in Star Wars Backstroke of the West, Anytime Jedi Council is mentioned in the subtitles, it says the Presbyterian Church. (laughs) So uh, Anakin is not able to become a member of the Presbyterian Church. Later on, he said, I've been made by the Presbyterian Church. And my favorite, uh, somebody says to the emperor that the Presbyterian Church does not like you. The reason why this happened The reason why that that translation uh, got so confused is that Presbyterian literally means elder. And so when they were trying to translate back into English, the only thing they could come up with a short word for elders, a council of elders, was Presbyterian. And this morning, we're going to talk about a passage that has a lot of things to say about elders in the church. And this is A good thing, because actually after we finish 1 Peter uh, next week, we're going to continue to talk about elders and deacons throughout the month of June. We're doing this because this coming July, uh, you who are members at City Church are going to have the opportunity to nominate our first class of elders and deacons. It's going to take a while to train them and all of those things, but we're going to be nominating them, and it's a good idea to ask the question, what are they all about? But as we approach these texts, both this one and the ones that we're going to talk about in the next few weeks, it'd be easy for us to go, ah, well, I don't want to do that. So that's not my thing. I'm going to skip out. Or, 
you know what, I can tune Justin out for these. Not my thing, not my bag. I'm not going to be an elder. I'm not going to be a deacon. I'm just going to ignore that. No, the thing is, is that the qualifications that are given in the Bible to elders and deacons are things that all of us should aspire to. They're things that all of us should be involved in. Not only, but also because all of us lead in one capacity or another. Whether it's the way we lead our children, whether it's the way that we lead others at work, other people in our family, all of us in one capacity or another are leaders. But this passage that begins to talk about elders, it also talks about submission to elders and submission to one another. Now, talking about elders is fine. It might get us a little bit excited or upset about this church's beliefs or that. But, but really, the kicker here is this idea of submitting to others, submitting to those who are in authority over us, submitting to anyone. And that begins to rub us the wrong way. You see, Peter is tying this idea of submission to what he's been weaving through the book for the last three chapters. He's tying it to the idea of suffering. And I think intrinsically, we understand why he would do that. Because anytime we submit to someone else, anytime we serve, anytime we give up any of our own right, to serve someone else, in a way, we're suffering. We're not getting what we want. We're not doing what we would do left to ourselves. And so we don't submit to others. We don't serve others because we don't want to suffer. We avoid submitting. We avoid serving because it would cost us more than we are willing to pay. Why is that? I think there's a couple reasons why. For some of us, we want control. And so I will not allow myself to suffer. I'm not going to let it happen. For others of us, it's our pride. I don't deserve this. You know what? I deserve to have everybody else bend to my will. I will not bend to anybody else's will. Or maybe it's security. If I... If I suffer, if I submit, if I serve, it's going to mess up everything that I've built. And I've got things the way I want them right now, and they're going pretty well, or at least well enough that I don't want that boat rocked. And so we sort of ignore this. But what Peter has been showing us, along with this idea of suffering, is this pattern, again and again and again, that suffering leads to glory. That suffering is a normal part of the Christian life, that leads to glory, that leads to redemption, that leads to change. But our failure to be, to be shaped, our failure to be formed by this pattern of suffering leading to glory, this pattern that Jesus shows us, this pattern of the gospel, our failure to be shaped by it reaches down to the way that we lead others and the ways that we are led. So let's, let's see exactly that in this text. So if you would, stand with me, with me as we read God's word together. 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 5 say, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, 
as God would have, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. City Church, this is the word of God, written nearly 2,000 years ago and intended for us this morning. You may be seated. So our failure to be shaped by the story of suffering leading to glory affects the way we lead, both in our households and in the church, and it affects the ways that we are led. And Peter begins by giving us a pretty pretty stout set of instructions for the elders. He tells us to shepherd the flock. And what's really, really interesting as he sort of brings up this imagery of shepherding the flock is Peter's story himself. Most of us remember the story about Peter denying Jesus on the night that Jesus was betrayed. We remember that story. In fact, it's our, our logo here at City Church is a nod to that about the rooster growing because we are here in St. Peter's town. The rooster is a reminder of Peter's doubt and restoration. It's why even in our art here for our sermon series, there are roosters that he is carrying. Because Peter denied Jesus three times on the night that he was betrayed. But something happened after that. Something happened very significant, which is Jesus met up with Peter again after the resurrection. And Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? And Jesus says, and Peter says, you know, I try. And Peter, feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Jesus, you know I love you. Peter, tend to my sheep. Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And you, you can just feel Peter's shame crushing down on him, remembering how he denied Jesus three times. And now three times Jesus is asking him, do you love me? And Peter says, yes. And then Jesus says to him a third time, take care of my sheep. For Peter, this idea of shepherding was not just an idea of, oh, he saw some shepherds and thought it was a good idea. It was absolutely tied to his restoration. It was tied to his love for Jesus. The shepherding that Peter did was born out of his love. And the first thing that he tells us about being leaders, about being elders, is that we should be willing shepherds, not compulsion. You see, it's easy for us to feel compelled. It's easy for us to feel forced to be leaders. And if that's the case for you this morning, the question to people who are leaders, who are aspiring to be leaders is, are you leading out of your love? Because if you don't, it feels awful, right? Have you, have you ever had somebody do something for you when you actively knew they didn't want to do it? Right? Yeah. Have, have you ever done something for somebody else that you really didn't want to do? How do you feel? How do you go about that thing? Right? Do, do you smile cheerily and say, oh, this is going to be great fun? No. It's written all over your face. Even if you've got a great poker face, you don't want to be there. Right? I have several friends who are introverts, and it's their face at a party, right? There's all these people, they're talking, 
People are mingling around in group, and you can just see it 100% on their face. They don't want to be there. How many times do we do things for others, and our face is quite simply the same thing? We just don't want to be there. Why? Because we don't really love them. We don't want to do what other people want to do. We want to do what we want to do. When you lead out of compulsion and not out of love, everybody knows it and it feels gross. It feels awful. And so City Church, as you begin to consider who you will choose as your leader, pick people who love, not because they have to, but because they've been changed by the love of Jesus. But this is not just for leaders. This is for all of us. How many of us do our Christian lives out of compulsion. I showed up for church, didn't I? I did the thing. All right, fine, Justin. I, I, I read my CBR. Quit asking me about it. I came to the first two Bible studies of summer Bible study. Okay? I, did, I checked my box. did the thing. Okay? Leave me alone. How many of us live our Christian life like that? Let me ask you, if you, were, if you are in a relationship or you were in a relationship... And anytime you ask, somebody asks you about the relationship, your responses were rote and out of compulsion. How would that feel? How would that make the other person feel? That's not fun. That's not a relationship. And so Peter tells us that the first thing about elders, both the way that we should live our lives and the way that we should aspire to our leaders, is that it's loving and not compulsion. But then the second thing he says is that we should be doing this out of service, not for gain. See, so many people lead, both in the church and outside of the church, for what they can get, not what they can give. It's all about what they're going to get out of this scenario, not what they're able to put into the scenario. Now, the elders at our church... Uh, the, the ruling elders, as we call them, won't be paid. But think about it. It's a great way to get honor, power, and a modicum of prestige. Is that why you want to lead? Peter says, don't do that. Do this out of a genuine, loving service. And this is something that applies to all of us. What are your motivations when you do things for others? Is it what you can get back? Do do you only do favors for people who you can pay you back? Right? Most of us live in St. Petersburg. Most of us are living in a city in transition where the house on one side of us might be gorgeous and the house on the other side of us might not be so great. Which of the neighbors do you bake cookies for at Christmas? Do you bake it for the nice house and the house with the overgrown yard? You kind of... You know, hold your head down as you walk past. So many times we need to check our motivations because if we are serving others for what we can get out of it, that's not service, that's self-service. And Peter says, don't lead because you're trying to get something. Lead because you have something to give. And lastly, he says, don't be domineering. But be an example. I think of the the cartoon that that pictures this so well. The difference between a leader and a boss. You've you've probably seen this cartoon. It's like in every boss's office. I bet you 
bet you Michael Scott probably had one. And it's got a picture, and it says leader, and there's a guy out in front holding the rope, helping everybody pull the big heavy block. And then it's got the same picture, only a little bit different, and it says boss, and the guy is standing to the side with the whip telling everybody else to go move the block. <laughs> a leader is someone who is not domineering, not telling everyone else to respect my authority, rather as somebody who is leading by example. If you aspire to be a leader, give everybody else a compelling reason to follow you. Because that's what a leader does. A leader gives, not tries to get. A leader does it willingly, not under compulsion. And a leader is setting the example, not domineering and telling other people what to do. And then Peter just doesn't just give these instructions to the leader. He says something. He says, and if you do these things, you will get a crown. Now, it's easy for us to, to mistake this. I remember growing up in the church and the church tradition I grew up in. It was, there was a lot of talk about what you could do here on earth so that when you got to heaven, you got a lot of jewelry. Got a lot of crowns. And there was like all these pastors, like, oh, if you do this, you'll get a crown. If you do that, you'll get a crown, right? And you, you, you sort of worked it all out. When we think of the crowns in this passage and in all the other passages of the Bible, we are absolutely missing a huge theme of the New Testament because we are, at, we are separated from the time that it was written. Because when he's talking about the crown, he's talking about something very specific. What he's talking about is the Roman triumph, which most of us don't think about, don't know about. That's some obscure piece of history. But when a Roman general had won a war, he would return to Rome and there would be a parade. And at the front of the parade, they would march. The fallen king, the slain king would be marched through the city and everybody would be mocking and throwing rotten fruit and laughing at this king. And behind that king came the conquering general, most famously Julius Caesar, painted in the blood of his enemies, putting them on spectacle, making everybody laugh at them. And as he came into the city, they would give him the victor's crown. And then behind him, behind that leader who came in with power and pomp and circumstances, all the soldiers would come who fought for him. And they would be given a leafed crown. Not like his, not gold, not the crown of the victor, but one that kind of looked like it, but faded away. When the Bible talks so many times, and Paul talks about this, he talks about it in Corinthians, he talks about it in Romans, he talks, Peter talks about it here, he talks about this idea of Jesus' triumph over sin. And we hear that and we go, yeah, yeah, Jesus won. He beat sin. That's what it's about. No, 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 no. Very, very specific. Jesus is leading triumph. Death is the thing that we're laughing at that's being paraded through the gates of the city. Jesus is the conqueror, and we are his people following in his way. Our crown is not something that we have earned, but rather that he has earned on our behalf. And so we follow Jesus, the triumphant Savior. But it's funny because Jesus even turns this a little bit on its head. When Jesus, what, what happened? 
check your minds here for a second. What do we call the Sunday before Easter? Palm Sunday. And what happened on Palm Sunday? There's an event that happened that day. Anybody know what we call that event? No, that was, that was Caesar's bad day. Um, this was the triumphal entry. I'm going to say that again, and I'm going to emphasize a part of the word that I think you see coming. Triumphal entry was the triumph of Jesus. Except, was Jesus riding on a chariot? No, he was riding on a donkey. Because Jesus was showing us, even in his triumphal entry, that he is humble. That he is servant of his people, not the one who yields and hits and leads by domineering. And Jesus says, that is what you have coming. Not the crown of how good you can be, but the crown of believing in me and following me. That's the kind of person who Jesus is. That is the kind of person that elders should be. And so, if you are being led like that, it is easy to follow the next piece of the command, which is to, to everyone else that, that Peter calls the younger here. He says to be subject to them. And then he finishes this by telling us, all of us, to be clothed in humility. See, leaders and followers alike are not exempt from this. Because followers can be proud when we are hard-necked when we are stiff-necked and hard-willed. Leaders can be proud when they are domineering. But in all of this, humility is what all of us should be clothed with. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. A lot of us sort of like to to self-denigrate. Oh, I'm no good. I'm bad at life, right? I, I can't even adult, right? And we think that that's humility. Like kind of being down on ourselves, being, being self-deprecating, right? I don't know anything about self-deprecation. I don't make self-deprecating jokes at all. Don't worry. No, no, no. That's, that's not real humility. What real humility is, is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less, right? That's a, it's an old C.S. Lewis quote that holds up. Real humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It's not being so worried about yourself. And you see, that's difficult. Because what that means is that we are making others more important than ourselves. It's us being subject to others. It's us being submissive to the wills of other people. And that's not great. I don't like to do that. How many, how many of you love to change your plans from something you wanted to do to something you don't want to do because somebody doesn't like it. Now we feel inconvenienced. I feel put out. I don't want to do that. My pride gets in the way of being submissive to others. And this is true not just of me. I'm guessing it's true of you. And it's true of our culture as a whole. We don't want... We don't want others to demand what happens in our lives. I don't want others 
to pick the restaurant that we go to when I have a restaurant in mind already. I don't want other, I, I don't want somebody else's conscience to pick what I have to drink. I don't want somebody else's allergies to determine what I get to cook. I don't want somebody else's stuff to inconvenience my thing. Because I'm proud. And Jesus calls us to be humble. You know, this, this even goes down to the way that we choose our, we pick our leaders at churches. We pick people to be our leaders who we think will keep things the most comfortable for us. This comes down to the way that we choose churches. I'm going to find a church that can give me the most benefit. I'm going to find a church that's going to meet me and my family's needs the best. And we've got it opposite. We've got it turned around. To quote um, a former president, but to change just a few words, we are asking the wrong question. We should ask not what your church can do for you. But what you can do for your church. It's so true, though. How many times do we think about church in terms of what I get? Not in terms of what I give. In terms of consuming it, not serving it. You see, this is not just a passage about leaders. It is about leaders. It is about who we want to make our church led by. But more than that, this is an attitude of putting others' needs before our own. And that's hard. That runs against the grain of just about everything inside of us. But Jesus shows us exactly this attitude. Surely Peter is remembering as he writes this passage about Jesus being the great shepherd. Surely he's remembering Jesus' sermon that John recorded where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd who not just leads, who's not just humble. I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for his people. You see, Jesus is ultimately the one who shows us how suffering leads to glory by being the good shepherd who lays down his life for his people. But not just that. That pattern is also Jesus making a way for us into his kingdom, making a way into his triumph because it was Jesus suffering for all the ways that we are proud, for all the ways that we are domineering, for all the ways that we insist on our will over everyone else's. Jesus dies for that. That's what Jesus' suffering was about. And now he invites us and empowers us to live in that same suffering leads to glory pattern. It's interesting that Peter, just a few verses before this, the verses we talked about last week, talks about us and uses the term Christian. It's only used two other times in the New Testament. And it was a slang term that people would use because what it meant was little Christ. And if we are to truly be little Christ, what God is calling us into is that same pattern of suffering, of submission, of giving up our will for others. Because that is what leads to his glory. And so for some of you this morning, you need to lean into Jesus' love. You need to remember his sacrifice. Remember the way that he loves us willingly. 
eagerly. Not domineering. No, some of us need to be reminded that it is his kindness that leads us to repentance. That as we reflect on Jesus' love for us, even though we don't deserve it, even though we are proud and resistant to it, no, his kindness is what leads us to turn to him. And as we repent, as we experience his forgiveness, we begin to love. Just like Peter did when Jesus kept asking him, do you love me? And that, that sort of internal transformation leads outward towards our actions. And for some of us, we need to be reminded of that. For others of us, others of us are doing this, and we need to be reminded that our suffering and our sacrifice and our service is not in vain. That Jesus is going to take that suffering and turn it into glory. And turn it into his glory. Because that's what this is all about. Let's pray.